Of course, it's much easier for me to pop a few pills than to have you know, six servings of vegetables a day. I wish that they were equivalent to each other, that we could just take a bunch of vitamins and it would be equivalent to six servings of vegetables, but it's not. I, it took me a long time to realize that. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hi everyone, you're on air with Ella and today's guest is Dr. Amy Shaw. Dr. Amy is a double board certified medical doctor. She has one of the most successful practices in the country in allergy and immunology. She's trained at places like Harvard and Columbia. She knows her stuff, guys. But about a year ago, she felt that she needed more and she started to follow her calling into wellness and mind-body medicine. So today you're getting an unusual blend between classical, traditional, medically trained background and this new world that we will talk more about today. Dr. Dr. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, Ella. Thanks for having me. Well, it is my pleasure to have you here. And you know what? You're going to give your bio much better than I can ever do it justice. So can you tell people a little bit about your training? Okay, so I went to about a million years of schooling is the summary. <laughs> Sounds but, like it. Yeah, so basically, um, it, you know, medical school is four years after four years of college, so that's eight years, and then we do um, a residency, which is kind of like a doctrine training, so I did that, and then after doing that for three years, um, I decided to specialize because I liked um, inflammation and immune system and allergies. So I did two more years after that, and that was at Columbia, my final stint in New York City. And then I went into practice, and it wasn't until... I mean, I've always been really, really interested in all this stuff. I was a nutrition major at Cornell and um, undergrad, and um, I've always wanted to go into medicine for the wellness portion of it, but it kind of never came. Like I was like waiting for the day when I could start to incorporate that into my practice, and it just never happened. I was so busy seeing patients, and it wasn't really welcome in, in our practice, and that's why I kind of started this wellness journey because I thought this was a great way to give people the information I could tell people in the office like hey check out you know this article it might help you and so that's how it all started well I have been so eager to talk to you because you represent something really unique Dr. Amy so you represent somebody with the traditional medical training background Cornell Columbia Harvard I mean you've got the chops so that that box is fully checked <laughs> Dr. Amy Shaw is a medical doctor and she earned that degree with a hundred years of school got it <laughs> <laughs> and then your specialization was immunology is that right yes allergy asthma and immunology so it's basically inflammation so that was your history and then some part of you knew that that world was lacking and that traditional medicine wasn't meeting all of the needs of your patients am I understanding you correctly yeah and I was waiting for I thought okay well I'm just a student like I don't I don't I maybe that's why I'm not able to incorporate this and nobody else is incorporating and then when I was in training I said oh well you know once I have my practice I'm gonna be able to incorporate this but it's really what I realized is that this world is almost still completely separate 
from the wellness world. There, most people learn wellness through online, through podcasts, through books, and they're not really learning it from their doctors. Although, of course, there's lots of very um, famous people who are who are doing this now, but it's still really new and different. Right, and it's almost pop culture versus yes. a part of the mainstream traditional medical experience or your traditional experience with your doctor, I should say. Exactly, exactly. I'm so keen to talk to a medically trained physician who also is absolutely willing to talk about and passionate about wellness. I mean, I know, why don't you give the audience an idea of how many hours you learned, you spent learning about nutrition, for example, in medical school? Oh God, it was like, um, I want to say maybe 10 hours or um, maybe tw- you know, fifteen at most. There was we did have a section on nutrition, but really it was um, very, very focused on the nutrition of the very sick. Like you know, how would you replace nutrition in someone who was in the ICU, for example, which is very different from someone who's healthy and exercising. I love that you see both worlds. I love that you're operating in both worlds, and I love it because. And, and the passion that you hear in my voice is because the day we can start marrying these two paradigms is the day we win. I totally agree with that because I think that there is so much overlap and there's so much um, science that supports some of the stuff that uh, we talk about. Uh, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be melded together. Like it shouldn't be, there's a naturopath and then there's a nutritionist and then there's a doctor. It should be all like one team. So today's topic is we're going to actually talk about inflammation in the body, what it is, why it matters, why and how it is so pervasive now. It is the cause of so much disease and obesity and et cetera. I won't jump in right now, but the point is, this is where we're going with today. But before we do that, could you tell us a little bit about you so we can get to know you and then we'll jump into the topic? Okay, so basically what happened to me is I was had two little kids. I had this new practice, um, uh, medical practice that I was running and I had my upcoming board since I told you I had two boards that I, um, had to pass. And it was, there was this day where I remember it coming all together because I had this meeting after work and I was, I had to be there because this is big for my practice. And I had to pick up my son from his karate class. And as I left from the meeting, I was like, you know, my head was spinning. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be late. And, and my head was spinning from all the stuff from work. And then I was also super stressed out because I needed to study. And I was thinking like, when am I going to get the time to do this? And of course, like I needed to fit in my workout and I, it was already five, you know, 6 PM and I hadn't gotten a chance. And with two little kids, it's always 6 PM. And later is basically like the black hole. So I, you know, drove as fast as I could uh, to try to go get him. And I actually got into a huge car accident. A car hit me from behind and my car was spinning all, all the airbags deployed. And it was, I was so scared because everything basically shattered and believe it or not, the first thing I thought of when the whole thing happened was, Oh my God, I'm late. Um, I'm going to be late. Uh, to get my son. And so I'm calling, I'm still in the car. I'm not even sure what's going on. I'm calling the place to say I'm coming. And you can imagine how frazzled and how stressed out I was really feeling. And that day I really realized like something's got to change because 
I was that inflamed person. Like you always, I always thought, oh, inflammation and hormone imbalance. That's, that's people who are, don't know anything about health and, um, you know, don't know what to eat. But I realized that was me. I was, I was stressed out. I was inflamed. I was having all these symptoms of fatigue and headaches that I never had before. And that was, it was me. It was the person that I never thought I was. And it, it made me go on this mission after that to say, okay, I need to apply everything I have learned and what I know and really take it to myself. And then, and that's basically how it started. Funny how life kicks you in the pants sometimes, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a real wake up call. That sounds like something I would do, by the way, is get into this massive car accident and then be like, I'm late, text somebody. I know, I know. <laughs> it's so sad that that's how like we operate. Like I was so much more stressed out about, you know, trying to get everything done. And this was just kind of like so annoying that it came in my way. And I literally, I got out of the car and they were like, are you okay? Because your entire car is like shattered and totaled. And luckily I had some aches and pains, but it was really, I mean, a couple of scratches, but it was really not bad. Thank God for airbags. Well, thank God for sure. And I'm glad that you are able to be sitting here today to tell us that story. <laughs> yeah. So what did you do then? So you knew you needed to make a change and you were absolutely steeped in your medical career. Yeah. What did you do? Basically, I took all those things that I had been preaching, that I had been reading about, that I had been talking about, and I said, wait, so am I doing all these things or am I just knowing all these things? Because we know all the facts, like almost everyone, we know what we should be doing. But then it's a whole different story to say, I'm so busy, but I'm still going to do some of this stuff. So one of the biggest things for me, I realized was I wasn't sleeping well. And that was a huge, cause I always thought, okay, well I'll cut out one hour of sleep so that I could get one hour of study time. And I realized it was really sabotaging me the next day. And then I would be having these sugar cravings because I was so tired and having so much sugar was making me even more inflamed. One thing I just want to call out here is so many of us are super, super busy. We're balancing a lot of factors, jobs, family responsibilities, you name it. And we, even those of us who say, oh, I know what to do. I know what to do. We're, we're oftentimes our own worst enemy, aren't we? Because we know what to do and we are completely blind to the fact that we're not doing any of it. Yeah. And then we have so many pressures around us and, you know, Sleep is one of the notorious ones. Like you almost think um, in, you know, corporate world and in the medical world, it's almost considered a badge of honor to, you know, stay up late and get up early because you're just working so much harder than the person who's going to sleep um, and getting eight hours of sleep. But I really realized through all this, it's completely the opposite. The more sleep you get, the more productive and, and successful and healthy you'll get, you know, as a recoverer myself, I, <laughs> I've actually spent shows on this topic. So we interviewed Sean Stevenson about sleep. Yes. And then we did, we've done a couple on just sort of life and energy management, that sort of thing. And the reason why is because I think I was going for the world's busiest woman award. And I thought there was an award for this, uh, apparently. And <laughs> I, I thought I was just the bee's knees because I was so, so proud of being so busy. 
And when you do that to yourself, you are running yourself into the ground and eventually it will show up in your body, won't it? And your body will tell you. Exactly. Okay, well, I think it's really useful, Dr. Amy, thank you, to share sort of where you come from, because I never want anyone out there listening to us to think that you're sitting on some mountaintop telling people how to do things. I mean, you are a mother, you are a wife, you are a professional, and you are speaking to us from a place of your own experience, and I think that's really, really, really important. Let's talk about the main topic that I'd like to address with you today, and that is the subject of inflammation. And I'd like you to first please share with us, why are we even talking about this, Dr. Amy? Like what is chronic inflammation? And it sounds kind of boring. What does that mean? Okay. So, in, so basically, you know, we need inflammation. So that's our healing, our bodies, our immune systems response to foreign, uh, you know, bacteria or injuries. So we need inflammation. However, what happens in our modern day, and um, and we can go into why, but um, with our diets and our lifestyles, is that we have too much inflammation, something like chronic inflammation going on, where our body is constantly in inflammation mode. And what we realize now is that this chronic inflammation is like the precursor to all modern disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, Alzheimer's, dementia, you know, ev everything you can think of is connected to inflammation, even cancer, even autoimmune diseases. So it's fascinating that all the things that we do on a daily basis and things we're exposed to can lead to all these problems. I mean, that's overwhelming. What you just said was chronic inflammation is largely responsible or a main factor in most of the main diseases and epidemics that we're facing right now. Yep. That is good news and bad news, isn't it? Exactly. So it's bad news because it's so prevalent, obviously, but it's good news because if we actually can get to the root cause, help people understand what this is, it is entirely preventable, isn't it? I don't mean you prevent inflammation. Again, that's a natural healing response. But this chronic inflammation, the unhealthy side of the spectrum is manageable, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Exactly. There's so many things that we could do to really take ourselves away from that chronic inflammatory mode into what we're supposed to be doing, which is like little spikes of inflammation. Well, let's try this. Can you sort of tell us a story, like paint a picture that we can see in our minds of someone who is healthy and not falling into this category and someone else who people think should be healthy and are still are falling into this category? Okay. So someone who is really handling, who's doing everything right would be someone who basically has a lot of energy, would sleep very easily, um, well, does not have problems with um, aches and pains, but in general has does not have GI issues like constipation or bloating. And though that person is on the right track, usually, and everybody knows their body better, but usually you can pretty much know when your body's in balance. And that's what we're looking for. So well, some people kind of uh, think about it as turning back time, like, oh, you know, I wish I could feel the way I felt when I was 25. And that's basically when your body's really able to handle inflammation well is when you're 25. And so the way you felt then is probably a good indicator of if you felt good, is probably a good indicator that you're doing things right. 
Okay, I'm glad you painted that picture for us, actually, because I think so many of the things that we attribute to just getting older yes. are actually entirely, they're not preventable. Like you can avoid getting older and you're going to avoid all stiffness and life is going to be grand and you're going to be 25 forever. But don't we, it sounds like we very likely attribute let's say a hundred percent of all the crappiness we're feeling to just, Oh, getting older. And yeah, I don't eat perfectly and I'll exercise perfectly, but I'm getting older. Whereas it sounds like let's pick a number. 60% of that could be managed by managing your inflammation. Yes, that's totally exactly true. Yeah. I'd, l- I'd love to feel 25 forever. So let's talk about how we can feel a little bit closer to that. Yeah, for sure. When you say that we are inflamed, overly inflamed in our body. What does that literally mean? What does that actually look like to a doctor? Okay, so what I would, um, the easiest area to see this is the GI tract, like our gut, right? So inflamed gut means bloating. It means um, not regular bowel movements. It means you might have, you know, you might be a person who's having lots of stomach issues. And a lot of times it manifests there because our biggest immune system, our immune system really resides in our gut. So that's a place that you see things coming a lot. People will also um, complain of uh, women, especially of like hormone imbalances. People will, fatigue is obviously a big black box because inflammation is a huge contributor to that. So those are kind of like the big signs. All right. I appreciate you so much sending me some of your key ideas and I'm going to mention them and then you explain how these matter and how they drive inflammation. And then maybe you can help us with some suggestions for how to reduce inflammation, which would be fabulous. Sure. All right. Wheat, gluten, and dairy. And people are going to get so sick of this because they sort of hear a little bit about it from everywhere. Why do we pick on gluten and dairy so much? Because of this problem, I told you that the inflammation starts in the gut and we've found that there's certain things like gluten, like cow's milk protein that are very inflammatory and we're able to see that in both human and mouse models. And so we know that that happens. Now, of course, does that is that going to also happen with a lot of processed foods in general, yes. So we see processed foods, gluten and dairy are basically our scapegoats. Um, And of course, there's going to be a lot more artificial dyes and food colorings and all that stuff. But processed food kind of covers a lot of that. And we know that those kind of triggers really change our gut's immune system. Um, And if we already have a bad gut lining, then those things are going to be even more inflammatory. I can go into more detail if you want. Yeah, I have two questions for you. The first one is because I think think it's important for people to understand that this is not just internet wisdom. Like, don't eat gluten. And and by the way, we're not saying don't eat anything. Um, You're just saying that these are very significant contributors to inflammation for most people. And let's, let's say there are some people who have gluten and dairy intolerances, uh, or they know they eat it and they immediately feel bad, but you're actually raising a different point. You are raising a point that whether or not you have an intolerance or a straight up allergy or celiac or something like that, even on the lower end of the spectrum where you don't have an immediate problem anytime you eat one of these things, you're saying that both of those, and actually we'll include processed foods in there as well, but wheat, gluten, dairy, casein, they 
are very hard on the gut in general? Yes. Yeah, so there are a definite um, predispositions for this. For example, if your gut lining is already damaged, and what, what I mean by damage is you've antibiotics can damage the gut lining. A lot of medications um, can damage the gut lining. And then also how uh, your lifestyle, like, you know, your stress and your sleep and all that stuff really determines how sensitive you are going to be to some of these foods. Because if you have a very damaged gut bacteria, say all your good bacteria or a lot of your good bacteria is gone and you have a lot of these stressors in your life, you're just so much more likely to become inflamed with certain foods than someone who had a very robust gut lining with bacteria. Basically, gluten, dairy, processed foods, along with poor diet, um, poor exercise, poor uh, and poor stress control kind of go in this like whirlwind together and cause inflammation. Okay, now tell me why we can point to our grandparents or our great grandparents and say, well, they ate bread every day of their lives and they were fine. Like, why is this problem different today than it was for our grandparents or our great grandparents? Okay, so there's two, a couple, actually a couple of different theories. One of the biggest theories is the hygiene hypothesis. Basically, because we're so clean and we don't have enough bacteria in our environment, even our gut doesn't have um, enough bacteria. Our immune system has nothing to do but to attack some of these so-called normal things in our bodies. So that's why the hygiene hypothesis is actually the reason they think that third world countries or like quote unquote dirtier countries have less autoimmune um, inflammatory diseases because their bodies maybe, you know, we're wired genetically to need to, uh, our immune system needs to be activated, needs to be busy. And if it's not busy with bacteria, it will start to get busy with things like foods and, um, um, and our own body. And that's what autoimmune is, is attacking your own body. Okay. So I've never heard of the hygiene hypothesis before. Let me take a stab and you tell me if I'm just a complete screw up. Is that, is that because we do things like everything from pasteurizing our milk and cheese to antibacterial soap everything? Uh, Yes. So basically, we know that there is a big difference between the disease rates, inflammatory disease rates. Like, say you grew up on a farm, even even in an industrialized country like U.S., like if you grew up on a farm with lots of animals and um, lots of children, and you will tend to have less inflammatory problems in your life than someone who grew up in a very clean quote-unquote place where everything and you're right something happened we were not really sure what's so different it could be the pasteurization it could be the antibiotics that's what everybody's really uh, putting a lot of emphasis on is like the antibiotics and the medications we give our children and pregnant women and then um, also what antibiotics we put on our foods um, you know our crops and the uh, things that we're doing with our foods, like how we process these foods are really taking a lot of bacteria out um, or even, you know, the immune system sees it as different than what it's used to. And so, yeah, like the hygiene hypothesis is so fascinating. It's basically like whatever we've done 
um, something went wrong somewhere and we're trying to figure out what that was. Is it like, you know, the antibiotics? Is it the foods? Is it the lifestyle we lead? We're not really sure. It's funny to think that you can be, quote, too clean. But what you're really saying is we're over-processing everything. Exactly. We're, our bodies are trained, programmed genetically to want to look for those bacteria. And if it doesn't find it, then it kind of has to find something else to do. Okay. All right. So that was the first hypothesis as to why our generations are struggling so much more than previous generations. What is the second idea behind okay. this theory? So the second idea is that our wheat and our dairy is different than it was, especially with wheat. There's a lot of um, research going on and seeing that, um, you know, the way we process wheat today, the way we make bread um, is very different um, than what they did back in even 50 years ago. Um, and there's also a lot of debate about how we actually grow the wheat and our, you know, our modern farming practices to blame for some of this immunogenic potential of wheat because, you know, there's something, you know, the same amount of bread, they looked at the consumption and they said there's not much difference actually, but the type of wheat that we consume now is very different and also the way we grow it is very different. Okay, so it's literally not the same product. Exactly. Okay, I think it's useful to call both of those ideas out, those hypotheses out, because there is real substance behind why what we're consuming today is affecting us differently than it did in years past. And the just the concept in general that it's literally not even the same food. Exactly. All right. You mentioned processed foods, Dr. Amy. Let's talk about that because we say, you know, processed foods aren't great for you. If you're taking your food out of a box, you know, that's probably not the best, healthiest choice for you. But we, we don't always sort of deep dive into that. But let's talk about the oils and fats that are going into these foods and how they may or may not contribute to inflammation. Yeah, so oils and fats are a huge, huge source of inflammation. And I think that part of the labeling in the United States, at least, is very, very um, almost um, misleading because they've shown that a lot of these um, foods and snacks will have trans fats in them, but the manufacturer will change the serving size so that they don't have to label it as trans fat because trans fat would be so easy for people to pick out, right? Then they wouldn't buy that product. But what they do is they hide it because they're able to hide it by making the serving size small. So it's a lot of things that are going on in the food in industry that are now, you know, slowly being exposed because um, sometimes it's hard to read the ingredient labels and really pick out which oils are inflammatory, which ones are okay. Well, what are trans fats in just basic terms and why should we care? Okay, so uh, trans fats are the type of fats that really don't, uh, they, they've looked at, uh, for example, heart attacks, and they said, okay, what kind of fat or cholesterol is the one that's going to really clog up our arteries? And they found that this was a type of fat that really, really triggered inflammation in our arteries and really caused the heart attacks. Like it wasn't the cold pressed coconut oil or the avocado type of fat. It was this 
processed soy, vegetable oil, you know, fats that we get in most of our processed slash fast foods. Okay, so this is useful to talk about because fat got a bad rap for a long time. And anyone who's listened to this show, generally, most people generally know that there is such a thing as good, healthy, natural fats. And we'll talk about those. But let's spend a moment on this trans fats issue because... And I just recorded an episode, just a solo episode, and I got on a little bit of a soapbox about it, but I'd rather hear, yeah. from, rather hear from you about this. Trans fats, let's call them manufactured fats, highly processed fats, we're talking about vegetable oil, we're talking about canola oil, we're talking about, in many cases, sunflower and safflower oil, and not just the soy oils and the corn oils, right? Yes. So a lot of people hear vegetable oil, and they're like, it's vegetable oil. What could yeah. possibly be wrong with it? Exactly. That's it. That's exactly it. They have to do something to the oils and additives to make it last on the shelf for that many months, sometimes a year. So let's talk about why, because what we should be using instead of these canola oils, vegetable oils, and these things that are literally deodorized before they get to the shelf. I, I, I'm really, I'm really hot on this topic because places like Whole Foods who will not let artificial sweeteners through their door, everything they sell on their hot bar and like in their prepared foods and in their deli, it's made with canola oil or olive oil. And 80% of it, this is my straw poll from my own experience, 80% of it's canola oil and about 20% of it's olive oil. Yeah, I'm, and that's it's such a good point. Okay, so if we're leaning toward things like salmon and raw nuts and seeds and avocados and the list goes on, coconuts obviously huge and getting an enormous amount of press these days. Those are fats that got a bad rap for a long time, but those are fats that your body feeds off of and they don't convert immediately into the pudge that you feel on your body, right? That's not what they are. They should be named something differently. I think we all agree on that. <laughs> Exactly. And also they're very, very healing to our body. When we talk about inflammation, they're actually very healing. So it's something we should be adding. So this is helpful because people just know, like if you, if you turn on the internet in the past two years, you know that coconut oil is supposedly a superfood and the best thing for you, but it's, it's hard to appreciate why we're having these conversations unless we talk about it and get into the detail a little bit. All right, I'm going to get off of my soapbox, <laughs> step down, and let's talk about sugar. And we know that sugar jacks up a lot of things in our body. We know that it impacts our insulin. We know that it hits our liver pretty hard. We know these things to some degree, Dr. Amy, but what does sugar have to do with inflammation? So sugar also really um, does a number on that gut lining that I mentioned a couple of times. And so we're feeding some of that uh, poor bacteria and also getting rid of some of that good bacteria. This is one of the ways that it actually is pretty inflammatory. Okay, so it it's super hard on the gut is what I'm hearing you say, but it also yes. feeds the bad guys. Yes, and it's also bad for your healing process. It basically, they've shown, and we're not really exactly sure how that happens, but it's shown to um, stunt the immune process. Okay, so if your body's the boat and you're trying to bail the water out of it to achieve health, if you're, yes. here's my metaphor, okay, get yes. ready. <laughs> and you're bailing the water out of the boat. And meantime, you've got the sugar coming in, you're poking holes in the bottom of the boat. 
That's that's a great analogy. Great. All right. Thank you for that. All right. And we've touched on bacteria and we've touched on sleep. I want to touch on something we haven't really talked very much about on the show. And that is you say eat your vitamins. And I really want to talk about this because I went through a phase on my own wellness journey. And I think some people can probably relate to this. You know, I, I jumped into getting a doctorate in health from the university of Google and I started treating myself and I bought all kinds of supplements. I mean, I, if I actually added it up, I would probably cry to know how much money I've spent on trying different protein shakes and adding supplements, but let's talk about supplements and vitamins. So, I mean, at one point I had two drawers filled (laughs) and I took them to my, I have a naturopathic physician here where I live and I took them in two bags and I dumped them on her desk and I said, which ones of these should I be taking? And she pulled out three from about 35. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, if you think about it from the standpoint of the industry, isn't that so easy? So they see a study on iron, say being good for you. And they say, Oh, well, you know, these people who had iron in their diets, like really did better on, um, you know, these parameters. So why don't we just package it up and give people iron so that they don't have to worry about eating those foods and make some money off of it. And so it's, that's basically why the supplement industry is humongous is because we have all these little bits of data, but really it's the group. It's like eating those foods. There's something way more than just the iron that was giving that good result. So we found out that a lot of these vitamins, yes, yes, they've been shown in, you know, health studies to help, but only in whole food form. And they're not as good when they're given in supplement form. That's important because when we carve out an ingredient from a food and we put it in a little pill, we are taking we're, we're making the assumption that everything we eat is just a bunch of little compartments put together in a food. Like there's, there's something to the symbiosis of it all being contained in the same food and interacting together. Right. Exactly. Okay. So when we pop a pill, we're making the assumption that, Oh no, it works if you carve out each ingredient and consume them one at a time. And it's, it's just not, it's not the same thing. And for a lot of people, it's like, you know, they will eat a lot of, and I mean, I've done this too. I think, of course, it's much easier for me to pop a few pills than to have like six servings of vegetables a day. I mean, that is like so much harder. And I wish that they were equivalent to each other, that we could just take a bunch of vitamins and it would be equivalent to, you know, six servings of vegetables, but it's not. And um, I think that It took me a long time to realize that too. Can you, would you be willing to share with us some vitamins that you do personally take? You're not suggesting that everybody else take it, but what do you like in terms of vitamins or supplements, Dr. Amy? Okay. So yeah, I am happy to share. So I think that my biggest, my few vitamins that I would recommend and that I take myself. So one is vitamin D, vitamin D3. And that should be, can be based on your level. So if you're not a hundred percent sure you can get your level checked, but I would say about 80% of people, I think the study shows even more so in America do are just vitamin D deficient, extremely deficient. And every single person I check is deficient. So I'm pretty sure that most people are deficient. So I take a, and I was the same way. So I take a hefty dose of 
um, vitamin D3, even though I try to incorporate a little bit of sunlight because, you know, people have made the sun into the devil, especially dermatologists, but you really can get, you know, 30 minutes, um, even just 10 minutes of sunlight a day. And uh, that can really boost up your uh, vitamin D levels. And then the next, uh, another one I take is a B complex, like a B12 and a thiamine. Uh, a B complex is a good idea. So the probiotic one is a very, very controversial one for me because I live with someone who's in the field of um, GI. My husband is a gastroenterologist and he always talks about how most probiotics are really useless, um, the ones that are contained in the shelf in the store because they're very, very low amounts. And when you have, when you swallow a pill, a live bacteria pill, most of it is going to be broken down um, by our acids, uh, you know, stomach, ma um, saliva, um, everywhere. And so by the time it gets into your gut, it's pretty much non-existent. Um, so I have a few uh, probiotics, but most of them would be the refrigerated kind. And most of them, they're also um, prescription ones that are very, very high dose. And of course, probiotic foods are probably the best way to get. So there's something about the way the food's made that um, keeps it intact, more intact when it gets into the gut. Okay, that's a good case for eating the fermented foods and some of the foods that are getting um, a lot more attention these days. I know you want to share maybe a, a, just a couple of examples. Yeah, so kombucha tea, the fermented yogurt, um, if you have dairy, there's fermented yogurt that is non-dairy, coconut and uh, coconut milk yogurt. And there's, so kimchi, which is a Korean food. There's, uh, if you can get sauerkraut or pickles that are natural without all the additives, those are great um, things to add because there's something, like I said, you know, if you, you, you take the probiotic part out of the food and then you put it into a pill it just doesn't get to the gut as well as if you would eat a fermented food unless you are like injecting the bacteria straight into your colon like a fecal transplant which actually works yummy <laughs> exactly okay and then the other one is really just omega-3s um, and sometimes you can have that as you don't have to have that as a supplement you can have that as an oil that you drink or um, in foods that you eat um, but if you don't feel like you know that day you're gonna have you know a whole huge serving of omega-3s then you can supplement um, I think that's one of the supplements that are pretty proven so I'm going to recap for everybody, vitamin D3, and that is the sunlight vitamin that we like to think of. And, you know, when you were talking about that, I was just thinking how crazy it is that it's hard to get 10 minutes of sunlight a day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like two generations ago, they would have just stared at us in awe that we can't, our lives are so insane that getting 10 minutes of sunlight a day is difficult. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, a B complex, and you explained a little bit about that. And and when when we go to onairwithella.com, all of this information will be in the show notes with links to the actual vitamins because these are the ones that my doctor told me to take. So I've got some great brands for this. And then probiotics. You made a great point that what you're buying off the shelf it may be entirely ineffective. And another thing that I know that we haven't touched on, but is also true is if you don't know which strain you actually need, yes. even if it's alive and it makes it to your gut successfully, it might not be even remotely close to what you actually need personally. 
Yes. Okay, so that's a whole that's that's a whole field day trying to figure that out. <laughs> exactly. But if you get your probiotics through food, and you mentioned yogurt, coconut milk yogurt, kefir, I imagine. Yes. Kimchi, which you can actually buy packets of kimchi at Trader Joe's, by the way. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's very it's inexpensive and it doesn't take very much in a serving, does it, to get no. like a healthy dose. Natural pickles, I love that one. Sauerkraut, and you named a couple of others, so that was really helpful. And then omega threes, you can take in a fish oil supplement, you said, but also you can eat it. I know grass-fed butter. Again, that's not fancy. That's just Kerrygold butter. That is higher in omega-3s to help balance out the very inflaming omega-6s that we're all cons- over-consuming, right? Yes. And also, um, it's really weird, but seaweed and algae, um, chia seeds, um, flax seeds, seeds, and um, seaweed, all of those are kind of like un- you know, we don't talk about them as much, but they're all great omega-3 sources as well. All right. I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a fan of kelp noodles, and I even have little kelp granules that are just like a salt shaker, and I just add it to stuff as, Amazing. A, as a seasoning just to get yeah. the, the iodine and the good bacteria and all that jazz. Okay, so hemp and chia and flax are things we know we can put in our smoothies or our salads. All right, fantastic. Well, I know we're running on time here, Dr. Amy, but I have two more questions to ask you. Is that okay? Yes, of course. Okay, so the first question is, what, given all of this information, what is one habit you would like us to all try for one week to test some of this out? Okay, so I think that if you could do anything, if you've already cut out, uh, first thing I would say is cut out processed foods, like anything that comes in a box or a bag that has more than like five ingredients, just for a week and see if you can make it, make your own snacks and really see what kind of difference it makes. And if you've already really taken out processed foods, I would add to that wheat and dairy just for a week. And if you don't see any difference, um, usually I would say continue it for about two to three weeks. And then once you add it back, if you feel no different, then you probably are not sensitive. But if you do, you probably captured a sensitivity. If folks want to deep dive into that, they can listen to the episode we did very recently with Sam Barefoot, the digestion detective, because she actually walks us through how to do an elimination like that and then how to add things back to, back in. What I love about what you're suggesting here is what a great challenge for us for one week to not unwrap any of our food. Yes. I love that as a challenge for us, for this group. So I'm going to take that thread. I'm going to move that over to Facebook and challenge the group and see if, um, see if anybody's interested in doing that with me. That would be awesome. Okay, fantastic. All right, what is one resource that you love that you want to share with us? Okay, so I had to think about this hard because I love all podcasts. I think podcasts are awesome. I love your podcast. I think it's really, really helpful. But besides like plugging this podcast, which I think, (laughs) which is fully acceptable. It's totally okay. (laughs) uh, Which which I think people are already listening to. So I had to rack my brain to think about something that wasn't a podcast since everybody's probably on the bandwagon. I was thinking uh, mindbodygreen.com because I really got my start about two years ago, started reading that site. And I just was like, wow, there's all these people and experts and ideas out there that, and this is the place where they put them all. And it was really uh, a good resource. And they basically pick all sides of the wellness world. So it's not just focused on paleo or vegan or vegetarian or um, any particular thing. They kind of give you all ideas so you can pick and choose your own. 
Oh, I love that resource. I actually have Mind Body Green open as, as one of my browser tabs right now. That's awesome. Yeah, I love, love, love that site. So I'm, no one's mentioned that before. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Awesome. Dr. Amy, where can we find out more about you? If people want to go to my site, it is amyshahmd.com. So A-M-Y-S-H-A-H-M-D and then .com. Wonderful. And you know that's going to be in the show notes, guys. So you can go to onairwithella.com. You can search Amy and this post will pop up and we'll link to all of Amy's good stuff. Awesome. This is fun. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.